Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Psalm 145 says, God loves everyone and has compassion on all. So it's all the blessings you can think of um, that we often take for granted, for sure. But these are blessings, uh, Jesus says, how is it that you're able to grow crops? Well, it's because God sends rain. He sends it to the just and unjust. That's Dr. Tim Muehlhoff, and he's speaking about how God steps in to provide grace to all of us in the blessings that we experience in life. Tim joins us today on Focus on the Family, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and Jim, I'm going to run out of fingers if I count how many times in the past few years I've asked, what's going on right now? Well, I think a lot of people ask that, John. It's kind of normal to have that thought, and many of our viewers and listeners have sent us uh, you know, emails and texts and other things asking similar questions. Here's one from a listener. How can I hold on to my faith in God when things go wrong? As a Christian, I know that I'm supposed to give thanks in all things and look to the Lord for my daily needs. Yet I've been through some devastating experiences over the past year. How can I be thankful and trust God at a time like this? Mm. Man, those are heartfelt yeah. questions. And I so appreciate the fact that she was willing to actually send that in and let us know where she was at. And I'm sure we were able to give some perspective and hope to her. But it's a difficult question. It's hard to see what God is doing during a time when you're in a valley. Mm -hmm. And I often talk about that. You're going to learn a lot, but it's tough. Yeah. Uh, in the past couple of years, we've seen many injustices, and we want to ask God, why? Why didn't he step in and correct it? And uh, he could have done that with just his will, correct? But even when we are tempted to despair, the Lord encourages us in his word. He says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Mm -hmm. Now that's a promise for the present, but mostly for the future, you know, that we're going to have difficulties in this world. But praise God, we have something so much bigger than this mm -hmm. that we're going toward. Yeah, this is not the end. So uh, our guest today is going to help us uh, address that listener question and think through more on this topic. Uh, Dr. Tim Muehlhoff is a professor of communication at Biola University, where he teaches conflict resolution, apologetics, and uh, family communication. He's a speaker with the Biola Center for Marriage and Relationships as well. Uh, Tim and his wife, Noreen, have three sons, and he's written a book that'll form the foundation for our conversation today, Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. Tim, welcome back to Focus. It is so great to be back. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. And I so appreciate the topics that we cover from time to time. And, and uh, you know, we're just going to need to do more of it. Let's get into it. Uh, this is a great book you've written, Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. And you start, or at least you mention in the book, something that we actually use here too, Apollo 13. What A, what a great movie. Yes. And then B, yes. what a wonderful illustration of how you need to work together to solve problems, et cetera. But you apply it a little differently. We kind of apply it in a management context. How do we go about solving a problem? How do you apply it for God's common grace? Well, I gave a sermon, and it's interesting. You don't always know how people are hearing the sermon. So I simply told the story of Apollo 13, where they did a very simple task. They stirred the oxygen tanks. They had done it many times, but this time there was an explosion. And they're basically uh, in space, but they cannot navigate their vessel. It blew the side of the yeah, spacecraft yeah. out. I mean, it's stunning to watch yeah. if you watch the movie. 
But hey, there's Mission Control. Mission Control has been there listening 24-7. They heard the explosion. Immediately, experts jump in. Uh, They're on it as fast as humanly possible. And I just said, you know, God's mission control for us. As we go through life and something happens, God is there 24-7, and he's better equipped than mission control. I thought, what a great sermon illustration. And I will never forget. <laughs> yourself on the back. Just a little bit. I thought that was really good. A woman came up to me, and she just simply said in a very hushed tone, she goes, you know, I'm really jealous of mission control because they actually talk to each other. I mean, the astronauts could hear the experts at mission control. Mm. She said, I, I don't hear from God, and I'm in worse shape than they were. Mm. And she just simply walked away. Wow. And that just really hit me that we set people up in, in interesting kind of ways because we say things that are biblically true. God loves you, and God is aware. He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows the hairs on your head, and he is all-powerful. Well, that kind of sets up people because it's like, well, then didn't God hear the explosion that just happened in my marriage? Hmm. Did God not hear the explosion that just happened because of the pandemic? We are financially going under, and I scream for a response from Mission Control, and I get nothing. So, I mean, how do you answer that? If she were back with you in front of that stage and not walking away and waiting for your answer, what would you say to her? Well, I eventually did reach out and grab her. You found her? her. Yeah, I found her. Uh, And here's what I love about what Focus does is we normalize conversations. Mm. We normalize it. Like she spoke in hushed tones because I, I wonder why, because she would think people would think less of her for asking a question that the psalmist asked. So I sat in her question, like, why don't we hear more clearly from God? Why don't we see overt acts of God like we do in the Old Testament? Mm -hmm. And that is what really led me to sit down and start to think about what could be one sliver of the answer. And that's where I rediscovered common grace, Mm -hmm. something that we don't often talk about, but that God's common grace is one answer to what we call the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. And I think it's an important way that God is interacting with everybody in the world, both Christian and non-Christian, responding to their pain and suffering. And in that context, I mean, again, in that moment with that woman, she's looking for an audible voice to tell her what to do, tell her how to get out of the ditch that she's in. And we get that. We would all love that. But at the same time, the Lord has purpose in the subtleties. Mm -hmm. And that is common grace. Common grace is really knowing those things and not looking beyond those things that are right in front of you. And, and recognizing them. And recognizing them. And I, that's what I like about what you've written in Eyes to See. Let me move to another story you had because, it, again, it just paves the way for our conversation. I think your son had an art project or something like that. But what, what took place with your son's art project and what did that uh, show you? So it's not just adult followers of Christ asking these questions. We, we are seeing a massive exodus today from evangelicalism. One man, John Marriott, he's a researcher at Biola, is studying deconversion. And he says among millennials, for every one person who converts to Christianity, four deconvert. Hmm. So we're seeing a massive... Within a certain age group. Within a certain age group, right? So let's go even younger. So my son is in elementary school, and they are doing a, a fundraising project. The theme was America. 
So you show up that night and everybody's done the predictable, right? Fireworks, apple pie, baseball. And it was all these great, you know, pieces of America. Well, they saved my son for the last. Hmm. And they just said, here's one interpretation of America. And they turn it around. Now, this is elementary school. It is a picture of an airplane crashing into Twin Towers. Hmm. You could have heard a pin drop. So you can imagine the conversation in the minivan heading home. Hey, buddy, um, awesome airplane. You know, I mean, it's like, but why did you choose that? You could have chose anything. Mm -hmm. And this is an elementary school. So he's how old? What's elementary school? Elementary is what? K through six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, Dad, I don't get it. Did God know it was going to happen? And I said, yeah, but he did. He could have stopped it. I said, yeah. He goes, I, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But it's like I was blown away. One, that this is my young child who, by the way, because of the internet, has access to everything. Every bad thing happening in the world, my son's either getting glimpses of it. And so now he, he's trying to reconcile the faith he's been brought up in to the fact that, yeah, God could have stopped that. And so that that added more fuel to the fire of what am I going to say to my son to resolve this issue? And that, again, is common grace, Mm -hmm. is that God is looking for human partners and that with this partnership, he is giving us um, medical discoveries, medical inventions. He's helping with security, self-defense. I I have a black belt in Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. I teach self-defense at domestic violence shelters in Orange County. Um, But you take a dart and throw it into a map of the world. There was a self-defense system that originated in that part of the world. And most of these self-defense systems are virtuous. Like Kung Fu, you never start a fight. You always protect yourself. So God knew we're going to grow up in a very violent world, and we are going to need to protect ourselves. And I think God gave the idea of these self-defense systems, and some of them were designed specifically for women who are at great risk. So again, this is God partnering with people saying, listen, I know the violent world you've created, and I'm going to give you inventions, ideas, tools that are going to help rectify that. So that ultimately was my answer to 9-11 is, yeah, some people did some really, really bad things. So now when we travel to grandma's, I just want you to pay attention of all the security things we're going to go through, right? You're going to have to walk through a metal detector. You can't take liquids. Those are all ideas of safety that we either can say, well, that came from some really smart people, or we can say, like James says, every good gift Mm. comes from God. So for me, it has exploded Mm how I look at the world, and and don't deny the evil. That'd be profoundly unhealthy. But now I also see the good God's using to counteract the evil. Mm. And again, I think common grace is one of those ways that he is currently answering. Let's give that definition to common grace. What does it mean for someone who may not know what that means? Yeah, common grace simply, I love the word common. It, It is the blessings he gives to both Christians and non-Christians. He gives it to humanity. Psalm 145 says, God loves everyone and has compassion on all. So it's all the blessings you can think of um, that we often take for granted, for sure, 
But these are blessings, uh, Jesus says, how is it that you're able to grow crops? Well, it's because God sends rain. He sends it to the just and unjust. So there are certain constants in our world that God gives us that we can do agriculture, scientific discoveries, even the very way that we think we tend to take for granted, but problem solving, being able to think hypothetically, these are amazing gifts that God's given the human race. And they're fallen. They, they've been affected by the fall. But all of these good gifts can either be used for good or for bad. That's interesting. It's so true. And I think we do look beyond that because we overcomplicate life. And we're looking for that audible indication from God. But yeah, he's bringing the answer we need in ways that we may not even see, to your point. You experienced gratefulness uh, for science, as you're referencing, when you discovered that your wife had cancer. Yeah. Describe that and your revelation about what she experienced uh, and what you experienced. Yeah. So all of this is coming. I, I haven't started writing the book yet. It's just this idea that's percolating. And then, you know, like many of your listeners, we get that horrible news that Noreen, in fact, has cancer. Now the major question is, has it metastasized? How much has it spread? So we make an appointment, and we're going to get a full body scan that is going to give us either the worst news you can imagine, or it'll give us medium news or good news that it's localized. So you can imagine, we've prayed, we have a marriage group that we belong to, and they're praying um, and again, you're tempted to say, God, can you just take away the cancer like right now? And I know you can, so please do it. Wouldn't it be great if the full body scan, the technician came out and said, excuse me, why was I taking this test? Well, because my wife has cancer. And he says, uh, no, she doesn't. Hmm. I mean, I would tell that story. And I've the, heard of that story, yes, frankly. Yeah. Which, Jim, can I yeah. be honest with you? Just makes it a little bit more frustrating. Yeah, no, it's true. I can understand that. I, I've heard those stories. Yeah. And wouldn't that be a great testimony? Yeah. So we're sitting there in the lobby, waiting to be called, and I took Noreen's hand, and I said something. I said, thank God for this hospital. Thank God for this tech who went to school to learn how to use this multi-million dollar machine and thank God that this machine is going to find the cancer, and then we can deal with the cancer. Mm -hmm. And Noreen just looked at me. She said, amen. And I realized I often don't do that. Man, I need to do that more. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Marriage podcasts usually go one of two ways. Relatable, but not helpful. Or helpful, but totally unrelatable to your marriage. The Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage podcast has all the, whoa, that's me, marriage stories. And wow, I never knew that. Clinical wisdom to help your marriage thrive. Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage will be your favorite listen of your week. An amazing marriage is possible. It begins with you. Listen at crazylittlethingcalledmarriage.com. Your marriage can be redeemed, even if the fights seem constant, even if there's been an affair, even if you haven't felt close in years. No matter how deep the wounds are, you can take a step toward healing them with a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive. Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face challenges together. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. Call us at 1-866-875-2915. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. 
You know, Tim, something Gene and I talk about frequently, actually, this may sound like really weird conversations to have, but, you know, she's a math whiz. She always was. And uh, I think I referred to it, you know, in my own way, I called it punctuated enlightenment. In other words, one day Gene and I were talking about calculus and, and she was really good at calculus. And she said, you know, it's pretty easy to understand it, regurgitate it, but I'm not Newton who created it. I mean, she had this awe about the fact that Newton figured it out. That's a whole nother level of an understanding. But to me, it's that God enlightenment moment that he knew in the history of mankind at that moment, Newton, he, in my opinion, gave him the ability to see it. And that's what you're saying, this application where we have major breakthroughs, the MRI scan. How about, I met somebody the other day, a descendant of the guy who created the ice machine. (laughs) I mean, just little things that make our life more convenient. But is that a fair way to look at those good gifts that are coming from God through people who have innovation and enlightenment and can figure out calculus before anybody else has? Well, it's going to come down to your worldview. Some of your listeners have heard the story of the creation of penicillin, right? which Fleming in the 1920s, he goes on vacation, and though he's brilliant, uh, he's kind of sloppy in his laboratory. So he goes on a two-week vacation. He comes back. He's a little bit annoyed because um, fungus is growing on some of the Petri dishes he didn't clean, but they're not growing on all of the Petri dishes. Hmm. And that really caught his attention. He goes, I need to figure out why. Well, he writes an obscure paper on penicillin, gives it at a conference to like 10 people, and then files it. Fast forward to World War II, Britain's soldiers are dying in bloody trenches, and uh, one researcher is tasked with, you need to find a medical discovery to save our soldiers from dying from disease. Mm. He finds the obscure paper in archives, and he goes, oh my goodness, this penicillin thing, we need to mass produce this. And so without penicillin, we'd be in the dark ages. So when I knew I had a book is when I heard a joke. Now, your listeners have probably have heard this joke, so forgive me. I'll tell it really quickly. A man gets word via radio that there's going to be a flash flood. Take, uh, go to higher ground. He's fine. He's a Christian. God's going to save him. So he does nothing. Waters start to rise. Now he's on the second floor. A boat comes by, and they say, jump in the boat. We'll take you to safety. He goes, nah, I'm good. God's going to save me. Now the flood waters have really risen. He's on the roof, and a FEMA helicopter comes by, drops a ladder, says, climb up. He goes, no, God's got me. Well, he drowns. Now he's in heaven and he's talking to God and he's mad. He goes, why didn't you help me? And God goes, what do you want? I sent you a radio message, a rowboat, and a helicopter. Mm. Now, I really realized I'm that guy on the roof because mm. I want, so floodwaters are rising. Wouldn't it be great if God miraculously saves me? Now, what would that look like? I don't know, crosswinds that blow the water away from the house, a hand that temporarily lifts me up. But if I get saved by the rowboat, I'm just a little bit disappointed because I'm like, Lord, I prayed you would save me in, I don't know, a rowboat. It kind of sounds like expectations. Totally. Yeah. And we know how that sets marriage. Expectations determine a whole marriage, what they do with God as well. So if we're saying, God, I want you to act, but I've already prefigured what that action will look like. Mm-hmm. It's, it can't be a rowboat. Yeah. 
It's got to be something supernatural. And by that, I mean there's no human interaction. Yeah, and some are asking what happened with Noreen. Did the cancer, did that? So so good news, it was localized and a very talented, uh, she went through certain procedures and now she's cancer free. Well, and again, some people will get a different diagnosis and we recognize that. But Tim, you're the professor at Biola. So let me ask you some of the hard questions. I mean, when you look at that, a skeptic may say, you know, you're kind of covering for God, Tim. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're saying he won't always or very rarely is he going to intervene with some kind of magnificent uh, supernatural ladder, whatever that might be. It's going to be rarer than you want it to be. And then you're going to say, okay, there's just common grace. You know, people discover medical treatments and all that. The skeptic, I think, could say you're just giving God a way out. You know, those are just normal human developments. That's the course of research and development. These things are going to happen. I I don't believe that. I'm just trying to represent that perspective. You're the professor. How do you come back to that common grace and say, well, you can have that perspective, of course. But God doesn't, first of all, God doesn't need an excuse. But how do you, what do you say? Well, I'm a huge fan of uh, Blaise Pascal. (laughs) He said, any religion worth its weight in salt must answer one profound question, and that is the hiddenness of God. Because I'll I'll be very honest with your listeners, there's times God seems very hidden to me. And this is a Christian college professor. So it gives me freedom to step back a little bit, like with the psalmists, who say, God, where were you? We went to battle, and we were obliterated on the battlefield. I, I honestly don't get it. I think of Jesus Uh, God incarnate, saying on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. So I love the fact that the heroes of the faith and Jesus himself went through periods, the Garden of Gethsemane, him weeping, God, take this cup from me. It's okay to be in that place. And yes, I'm attributing things to God I cannot ultimately prove, but I think there's some arguments that present really interesting answers and what I would say is proof. But in the end, the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So based on God's wisdom, he set this whole thing up that he is not providing indisputable proof in the fact that you would never need faith. Yeah. Well, and I love that that reliance on faith. I believe that. I think the Lord smiles when he knows he has your heart through faith, mm-hmm. not through an observable, materialistic conclusion that we, especially in the West, so want. We want it linear. We want it logical. We want to see it, taste it, touch it with our own senses. And the Lord's going, no, yeah. I'm going to leave it right outside of that range because right. I want to know I have your heart without all of that affirmation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim, right at the end here for the listener we heard from at the beginning of the program, that comment I shared, which basically said, how can I hold on to my faith in God when things are going so wrong? What would you say to encourage them today? I'm sure they're listening or watching us right now, someone who's in a deep valley. It's a great question, and it's one that I continue to wrestle with. I, I'm going to change the question just a little bit. How do we know God loves us? That is a profound question. And the answer to that question is going to determine if you can stay in the faith or not. Because we're in the West, because we're, we tend to be materialistic in the West, 
I very quickly say, I know God loves me because of my bank account, the health of my kids, my health. Your blessings. My blessings. And Paul takes a radically different answer to this one in the book of Romans. He says something kind of crazy in Romans 8. We are more than conquerors, but we are sheep being led to slaughter. We are equally both. Uh, He's prefiguring Nero's persecution that is right around the corner. He says, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes into this litany of things. Can famine do it? Can persecution do it? And he's saying, no, no, guys, by the way, you're going to get persecuted. I promise you it's going to happen. He says even death. Even death. But they said, but don't equate that with the love of God. So how do I know God loves me? Because Jesus died for me. Right? I mean, that's what he says in Romans 8. Tim, if you're asking me the question, is my love contingent on your health or the health of your wife with cancer? The answer is no, because I have children who I deeply love that have died of cancer, Tim. And I have children I deeply love who have lost children to drowning accidents. Do not come to me and say nothing bad can happen to the Milhoff family because bad things happen in a fallen world. Don't think that I don't love you anymore. Now, in one way, that's really satisfying to me. In one way, it is not satisfying. I mean, I can't imagine listeners who have lost children and be sitting there saying, that is not a very good answer. But it seems to me that's what Paul hangs his hat on. And this is a man who's about to be persecuted. Yeah. Uh, Tim, this has been so good. I mean, what a great book. I used to see, I want to come back, uh, fill in some more of those blanks, ask the tough questions of the professor. So let's come back tomorrow and continue the dialogue. Can we do that? Love it. Okay, good. Let's do it. And to the listener and the viewer, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual development and your honest questions about God, what is this happening to me right now? But we're here for you. And I think a great way to get perspective is through Tim's book, Eyes to See. Like any time we're touching on content like this, we're scratching the surface. Mm. There's so much greater and good content in the book itself. So get a copy. And in fact, uh, do it by entering into ministry with us. Why not uh, send us a gift for $15 and get a copy of the book? And that way, families are helped. All the proceeds go back into ministry, not into shareholders' pockets. So why not do it that way? It's a win-win. Help us. If you can do it monthly, great. A one-time gift is great. And we'll send you a copy of Tim's book as our way of saying thank you. And our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Or you can donate uh, generously at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And let me recommend that you reach out to our counseling department if you're finding yourself in a place where you're feeling hopeless or discouraged. We can set up an initial conversation for them to talk with you and pray with you and uh, point you to some further help. And uh, again, the number to call is 800, the letter A, and the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we continue the conversation with Dr. Tim Muehlhoff and once again, help you and your family thrive in Christ. listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. 
One in five households cares for a child with special needs. Is yours one of them? If so, we know you want your child to be taken care of no matter what happens. If you want to secure your child's future by preparing a will but need extra guidance for your unique situation, Focus on the Family can help. Download our resource, 15 Questions to Ask If You Have a Child with Special Needs. It's our gift to you at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Special Needs eBook. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So almost like with war, God gives us a positive vision of how communication can be used to impart life, but he equally gives us negative ideas of how this communication can really hurt people. And I think for us, we need to impart life even in our disagreements because we know how it profoundly changes people. And then be very careful, your words really hurt. That's Dr. Tim Muehlhoff reflecting on the ways God uses communication to provide grace in our relationships with others. We're really pleased to have him back as we dive into this subject further. And this is Focus on the Family with your host, Focus President and author Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. John, I'm really pleased to have Tim back again. We covered some good ground last mm-hmm. time, asked some tough questions. Right. Tim's a professor, so he's used to those collegiate style questions, you know, professor, tell me the truth. Mm. And I think we hit that last time. We did discuss the common dilemma that our world experiences, all the pain that's going on. Probably the most common question is, if God is real, then why do children suffer? Right? That That, that usually pops up as number one. And I think Tim did an excellent job last time kind of explaining uh, God will work miracles. God will work through common grace is what he talked about in terms of invention Uh, machines that detect cancer. I mean, the way that he works through human beings to innovate. And then sometimes he's silent. And it's beyond us to understand when God does what and how. Mm -hmm. And that's really the the bottom line. Do we have faith in Christ and faith in the Father simply because he is? And that is the question. Yeah. And if you missed any of that first part, uh, stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast for all the details and links. And Dr. Tim Muehlhoff is professor of communication at Biola University, and he also is a speaker with Biola Center for uh, Marriage and Relationships. And uh, he teaches conflict resolution and family communication, a lot of practical topics. And uh, he's written a book called Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. Uh, This is an excellent resource. We'll encourage you to stop by the website to get a copy of it. Uh, or give us a call. And again, the details are at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or call 800, the letter A in the word family. Tim, welcome back to Focus. Boy, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, you sound really busy. How'd you have time to come out here? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I will always make time for Focus. My when... goodness, that's amazing. You're doing a lot every day, but probably one of the things, and I, I'm a little envious, being able to be with college students mm-hmm. and talk about life with them and that's something I, I wish I could have capacity to do. But it, it, is it a fun environment for it you? It is a great environment. It keeps you young, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's the good part. Um, but and challenging. And challenging. It's become more challenging. I mean, yeah. we are going through a tough time mental health-wise, partly because social media has had an interesting effect. It, it shows you the world in all its good, bad, and ugly. All the time. All the time. You can have 24-hour access to it if you want. And we know our students are really connected to that phone. And we know Facebook depression is for real, the comparison trap. But what this book 
talks about particularly with social media is I can read newspapers from across the world. So I just don't hear about mass shootings in the United States. I hear about mass shootings everywhere. Hmm. I can follow what's happening in Ukraine 24-7 if I want to, and it becomes simply overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And you start to think the world really is spiraling out of control, and students are having a really hard time sitting in this distress. But it's also an opportunity, especially at a Christian school like Biola and the other, you know, 150 Christian schools around the country. I would I would use that opportunity to talk about fear not, you know, yeah. that God's with us even in this. I'm excited about this generation coming up. Uh, you know, some of the older leadership, they've said, well, you know, they're not as good on orthodoxy and things like that. And I think what we're communicating is God didn't know who to put here for this next generation. Mm. I think that's a very daring thing to say to God. Because uh, he knows better than I do who needs to be here, what spirit he's put in what body for this coming uh, century, right? Yeah, and these students are <laughs> activists. They are activists. They want to be outside the classroom. Let, let, and let's go do it. And they're truth seekers. Yeah. I mean, even within the Christian church, they have fair criticism yep. about hypocrisy in the church. It's a good thing. And I'm hopeful that they'll continue to grow in orthodoxy as well as in power. And that, you know, that may be exactly what the Lord's plan is, right? To raise a generation that not only can speak truth, but do it. And talk about uh, common grace. So yeah, there's a lot with social media that I would pick on as a communication professor, but my goodness, the good of social media. I mean, look at the reach of Focus on the Family. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know you got to convince mean? yourself the good outweighs the bad. Well, but I get it. I get the point. But, but but we can get the positive messages out there as well as as the damaging messages. Sure. Let's let's come back for listeners and viewers that didn't catch last time and just the recap on common grace. Let's just stay with that theme of common grace. What's the definition again? So the psalmist says in Psalm one forty five, God is good to all, and sometimes we forget that, but. The all part is what common grace is about. God isn't just good to people who love him. He's good to everybody. He, uh, rain falls on the just and the unjust so that we can have crops, we can have agriculture. He gives medical discoveries to non-Christian scientists as much as Christian scientists. He knows what's happening in this world, and he is giving us gifts 24-7 to help us deal with a fallen world that in no way means he can't act miraculously. And we get reports all over the world of God doing exactly that. He's not limited to common grace, but we've kind of set common grace aside and don't give it its due. And the book was just simply a way of introducing readers to common grace and then giving illustrations that we can share with our coworkers, family members, children, my students, because we know illustrations are what people remember. So the book is chock full of these amazing illustrations of inventions and um, communication techniques that were developed by non-Christians that we use today, and it helps us resolve conflict. You know, Tim, I love numbers. I, I didn't do that well in statistics in business school, but I enjoyed it. But I, I do like the data, the metrics. It, it seems to you know, prove a case. And in the book, you share some of those statistics that you found on our exposure to violence and war and why it becomes so hard to focus on something other than despair mm -hmm. with that bombardment. What, what's some of that data that you found when it comes to the information coming at us, particularly around war? Yeah, consider this disturbing statistic. 
The average person today processes as much as 74 gigabytes of information a day, the equivalent of 16 full-length movies being watched back to back to back. Per day? Per day. I've never done that, but I've gotten about three. <laughs> yes, I probably have too. That's called binge-watching. I can feel that stat. My goodness. Now, here's what's amazing. 500 years ago, a fairly well-educated person would have received 74 gigabytes of information in his entire lifetime. Wow. So 16 movies in a lifetime. A lifetime. Versus a day. A day. <laughs> now, there's good and bad with that, uh, but we are bombarded with information. Now, when it comes to war, uh, I'm a rhetoric professor. Rhetoric is public declarations. And when President Putin is rattling that nuclear saber, my students hear that. Like, hey, could World War Three? really happen? Well, I think the world hears that. And, and, and is appropriately nervous. Mm -hmm. And at that point, as Christians, I think there's a double burden. Like, okay, what's God doing about this? Like, is he doing anything about this? Like, why doesn't he just step in? Why doesn't he, he take out Putin? Or why, why doesn't he just defeat all the armies of Russia, like I've seen in the Old Testament? And I think all of those are legitimate questions. But in the book, I take a look at things like the Geneva Convention, which is a way of saying, listen, in light of the fact that war is going to happen, yeah, it would be great if we could get rid of war, but military historians tell us, boy, I tell you what, humanity and war have always been linked with each other. And as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised about that. Jesus said, yeah, there'll be wars and even rumors of war, so get used to it. In a fallen world, this is going to be part of your life. Now, some of you might be thinking, why doesn't God just get rid of it? Why try to manage it? Well, that goes back to one of the central points in the book is God is working for human partners, right? Could God take care of creation? Does he need the creation mandate of saying to Adam and Eve, I want you to be caretakers of the world? No, God can take care of his world that he created, but he delights in the fact that he works with human beings. Let me, let me ask you, uh, keeping on with the war uh, analogy, uh, you tell a story about a soldier who invents the perfect solution to violence in war. What was that? So one of the great gifts that God gives us is hypothetical thinking. We don't just think about what's happened. We can think about what could happen. So Ray Bradbury is one of the top science fiction masters. He wrote a great short story called A Piece of Wood. It's about a soldier who has made this invention that any weapon can be reduced to rust. So your sidearm, a missile, a helicopter. Quickly. A, a, quickly. Like yeah. if he wants it to turn to rust, it turns to rust. And so he's sitting there talking to a general and he says, so what do you think about that? And the general goes, it doesn't make any difference. Get rid of all the weapons and we'll bite each other to death. We'll attack each other with our hands. And so the soldier just looks at him and he realizes getting rid of the weapons won't solve anything. You need to change the human heart. So the, the, it actually ends in a really cool way. Uh, the soldier gets up and walks out and the general looks and his sidearm has been reduced to rust. Mm. So now he grabs a chair busts the chair made out of wood and goes after the soldier with a piece of wood thinking I need to kill him or he's going to destroy all of our weapons. Bradbury's point is much like what God would want to communicate. Listen, I could get rid of all weapons and hatred in the human heart is you'd be killing yourself and strangling yourself with human hands. What, do I get rid of all human hands? No, I need to deal with the heart. And so getting rid of weapons won't solve anything we need to deal with the human heart. And I think that's what's being writ large today 
is get rid of all nuclear weapons and we still would find a way to destroy the planet if we wanted to. I mean, these are really deep and and important things to think about. And we're not always going to have the answers. It's not that clear in some of these spaces. Uh, Many have come to believe that God is indifferent to war or even supports it as in the Old Testament. How many critics of the faith go to the Old Testament and all the deviance of the Old Testament, right? And they point out that, you know, God encouraged war and encouraged killing men, women, and children, etc. But what is God's response to violence and how, how does he convict us in our own sin when it comes to common grace? So he does two things simultaneously. He gives us a virtuous view of war, which again, hear very clearly from God. I, I, my desire is there would be no war. And by the way, in heaven, there will be no war. The first things will pass away. The new things will come. So he's eventually going to eradicate war. But in the world today, unless he gets rid of our free will, people can choose to go at war with each other. So God plants in our mindset, what is war like if it was done virtuously? So Sensu and the Art of War is one of the most referred to books by everybody. From, I've read it as a business book. Yes, though. as a business <laughs> book. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's read everywhere. And Sun Tzu is amazing when he says, listen, the last thing you want to do is go to war. Uh, but if you do, a couple things. One, don't destroy the earth. Don't have a scorched earth policy because you're going to have to re-inhabit that. Second, offer people surrender. Give them a golden bridge that they can surrender. Once they do surrender, treat them kindly because you can convert them and they can actually become part of your community. Second, he paints this vivid picture of what war can look like if it gets out of hand. So in the book, I reference this crazy song called 99 Red Balloons. Do you know this song? Yeah, I do. It was number one, both in German and in English. Hmm. Uh, It's actually a true story. The guy who wrote the song went to a Rolling Stones concert uh, when Germany was still split east and west. And obviously, they were in the west. And a person lets go a red balloon, and it floats over into east Germany. And he imagines, what if they pick that up on their radar and think this is an attack? And then they actually launch all their missiles based on this one red balloon. So it's this anti-war song that that gives us forward thinking. Listen, you better reel in the dogs of war, Julius Caesar, because once the dogs of war are unleashed, you might not be able to reel it back in. That's a gift of God, hypothetical thinking of how badly this can go. So he gives this virtuous idea of war, and then he plants in our minds apocalyptic literature that this whole thing can go south very easily, so be very careful. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. 
Tim, let's talk about civility or incivility, which we're seeing far more of that nowadays. It feels like to me, spiritually speaking, like a can of incivility has been popped open and the aroma is around the globe, you know, and we see it here in our cities. I I saw a stat the other day, 87% of Americans have said that they no longer feel safe in public spaces. 87%. That's amazing. Let, let, let me add to that statistic come from Pew Research. 98% of Americans, now I want you to think about this, in a time when it's really hard to get Americans to agree on anything, 98% of us would say incivility is a threat to this country. Hmm. 68% would say it is at crisis levels. Hmm. So in addition to being a professor, I'm also the co-director of the Winsome Conviction Project, where we seek to reintroduce compassion, empathy, civility back into our very public disagreements. I would argue that each one of those is a God's common grace, empathy, civility, um, perspective taking. Uh, love your neighbor. Love your, na- yeah, love <laughs> Let's your neighbor. Let's go with that one. <laughs> so again, when it comes to communication, the book of Proverbs is amazing. I mean, my master's thesis, I used the book of Proverbs. I couldn't say it was the Bible. I had to say it was Jewish wisdom literature. An ancient book of wisdom. <clears throat> An ancient book of wisdom. But think of my favorite verse, Proverbs 18.21, life and death is in the power of the tongue. So almost like with war, God gives us a positive vision of how communication can be used to impart life, but he equally gives us negative ideas of how this communication can really hurt people. And I think for us, we need to impart life even in our disagreements because we know how it profoundly changes people. And then be very careful. Your words really hurt. But let me point out one really cool thing from the book. God didn't just give this to Christians. He gave this idea of life and death and the power of the tongue to everybody. So in my research, this is what I found out. If we go to Hindu mystics, if you take a look at the Vedas, you get this from the Vedas. Quote, words can comfort or hurt. It is our pride that makes us use words to hurt. Buddha, long before the book of Proverbs, said words have the power to both destroy and heal. Muhammad said, the most important word you can speak is a virtuous word. And Confucius said, without knowing the force of words, it is impossible to know more. Now think about Buddha just for a second. This is well before the book of Proverbs. So this is what Christian theologians say. God gave it to him via common grace. So he had no access to the book of Proverbs. So God gives him this idea, words can hurt words can heal. And then later we get the inspired version in the book of Proverbs. So some people say, well, isn't it possible that was really Buddha and we borrowed? No, they weren't communicating with each other. God gave this great idea. Guys, watch your language. It can hurt and heal. And he gave it to Christians, Buddhists, Hindus, even atheists. I quote Sam Harris in the book. This is God saying to everybody, be very careful with your communication because it can do great harm, great good. I think that just shows God's graciousness that you don't have to be a Christian to get this wisdom. I'm giving it free to everybody. Now, sadly, everybody doesn't take advantage of it. Yeah, that's good. Let me, for the sake of the content of your book, Tower of Babel. So that's kind of a somewhat humorous story that the Lord lays this on everybody because they're getting along. So boom, I'm going to separate them, confuse them, give them all different languages to speak. (laughs) So here's the bummer with common grace. Every single good gift 
God gives can be used for good or can be used for bad. Let, let's talk dynamite real quick before we get to the Tower of Babel. Dynamite, Alfred Nobel, was created for agriculture, to break up hard soil. Well, you better believe the military complex said, hmm, dynamite, awesome, and went and took it. And today, dynamite is one of the most effective killing machines we've ever seen. But it originally was created for agriculture. Okay, let's take language. God wants language to bring us together, to work in harmony, to fulfill the creation mandate. And sure enough, just like dynamite, people are using communication to plot against God. Like they're actually organizing, which is a common grace, but they're doing it to usurp God. And God looks at this, and again, this is the same kind of way that he tries to control war. He goes, okay, this language thing, they've taken it in ways that can be very harmful to the entire planet. I'm now going to put in a roadblock. I'm going to separate them, and language is going to be more difficult um, by the way, still common grace. I mean, people who speak the same language can very quickly connect with each other and things like that. But he kind of put in this safeguard that now the languages are separated so that they can't easily come together and plot against God. Yeah, a, a, a great example. You were in Kenya. I want to capture this before we end today, but you're in Kenya. What happened in Kenya? You, we often hear in America these miracles that do occur uh, abroad. But this is kind of unique. It has both a kind of a material solution, but it is a miracle. It is a miracle, and it's haunted me for years. So I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, and we would go show the Jesus film, particularly in the poorest parts of Kenya, the Mathari Valley. And so what happens is they dropped off three teams. You're dropped off with your people. I was the team leader. A projector, a camera, a screen, and you're going to show the Jesus film. We're the first team dropped off. We were literally setting up the screen. Eventually, a thousand people would come. I mean, it was amazing. And we're right about to start the Jesus film. And a sophomore comes up to me and says, Tim, we don't have the connection cord from the projector to the generator. We, we can't turn this thing on. There are a thousand people sitting looking at us. Now, this is before cell phones. We're stuck. In the, literally in the middle of nowhere. So we're all sitting there. And Jim, I had given a devotion. I, the humor of God is amazing. <laughs> yes. That morning, I gave a devotion. I promise you on Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we ask or think. The sophomore, she says, well, Tim, based on that verse, let's pray and just turn on the projector. God does not need electricity. I looked at her and I promised her in my heart, I was like, yes, let's hold hands. We surround the generator, the uh, projector, and this woman is praying and she is about to say amen. God, you don't need anything. You can show this film and we want to tell people about the gospel. And just as she's finishing, I hear an all-terrain vehicle flying down this dirt road because he dropped off the other two teams and had an extra court. And so he literally backtracks, goes, goes to team three, they have it. Team two, oh, it's Mielhoff's. So now he's flying, and just as she says amen, he literally drives by, lowers the window, and throws it to me. Now, I was haunted by that for years because I honestly, truly wish he would have been a minute and a half later. Because that woman was about to say amen, and we're going to turn this projector. Right. Now, if you ask me as a Christian who studies the Bible, do you believe God could have done it? 
I am telling you, yes. Let me be really honest. Do I think it would have happened? Probably no. Right? Because I'm a Westerner. It doesn't work. Well, maybe even an Easterner might find that one a little difficult. Maybe an Easterner. (laughs) But we we got the cord. We plugged that thing in. We showed the Jesus film. And I have my notes. A hundred people prayed to receive Christ that night. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right at the end here, Tim, last question. Um, For that person today who feels as though they are on the edge of despair. I mean, we've touched on that last time with your wife, Noreen, suffering from cancer. Thankfully, she was healed um, through the doctors. But that person listening, watching, they just don't see Jesus working. He's silent. Um, what would you say to them so that they don't walk away from their faith? There's nothing wrong with you. You are walking a path that the giants of the faith have walked. St. John of the Cross, dark night of the soul. We borrow that language all the time. St. John was in a dark night where he saw nothing of God. When C.S. Lewis's wife, Joy, died of cancer, and this is a man who wrote the book Miracles, um, he was never the same. His personal secretary later wrote about this and said, Lewis still hung on to the faith. He was never the same after that. So if you're sitting there thinking, I'm less than because I'm in this dark night of the soul and I don't see God, you just need to know, no, there's a company of Christians who have been exactly where you are. I would say this, don't suffer alone. Pull together some Christian friends. And I hope these are friends who aren't going to jump in and give a quick answer, but they will sit with you and pray with you. Mm. And if they're honest, they'll probably tell some stories. Yeah, I've been there. And maybe one will even say, I'm with you right now. And I so appreciate, Tim, the fact, as we talked about through these two days, that Jesus clearly said that he has overcome the world. And you could put many things, fear not, don't be anxious. Uh, And I, you know, there are going to be things that we can't explain in this life, but to hang on to your faith in Christ is what it's about. And there's something so much better coming. And I'm looking forward to that. Thanks for being with us. So appreciate this dialogue, this honest, raw uh, interaction about these deep questions of faith. And listen, turning to the viewer and the listener, I want to encourage you to get uh, Dr. Tim Muehlhoff's book titled Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. And you can order that directly from Focus Canada. When you do, those proceeds go right back into ministry. We're always grateful for your prayers and financial support so we can continue to reach families across Canada. Mm-hmm. And even beyond the book, we have so many other resources to help you in your spiritual walk. Uh, we might mention our counseling team. If you're stuck, if you're feeling, as, as Tim said, feeling alone in your suffering, reach out and speak with one of those counselors. Our number is 800, the letter A and the word family. Or uh, you'll learn more about our counseling team and the book and ways to partner with Focus on the Family at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening today to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.
Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Smalley. And I'm Erin Smalley. Marriage is an amazing gift from God, but it can also be a challenge sometimes. That's right. We could all use a little guidance. And that's why we started our podcast, Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. We talk about things like recognizing conflict cycles, dealing with stress, and how to grow your love each day. Listen at crazylittlethingcalledmarriage.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We can't wait to see you there. 